Welcome to the One in Five of Us Changing the Mental Health Landscape podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. One in five people will experience a mental health condition, but it takes on average eight to 10 years for someone to seek treatment. Hi, I'm Nancy Eigelmiller, the founder and executive director of One in Five, and I'm thrilled to host this podcast to help educate our community around mental health and wellness and to empower you to start the conversation. And I'm Kayla Wood, the social media specialist at One in Five. Together, we can stop the stigma and start the conversation. You belong here. We belong together. Today, we're sitting down with Dia, a junior honor student and student athlete at Sycamore High School and a One in Five intern. Dia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So, Dia, we know you were involved in a variety of activities outside of school. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, sure. So um, since my freshman year of high school, I uh, have been a part of the varsity golf team, uh, the varsity swim team, and our mock trial team. And um, honestly, all three of them have really made my high school experience. And I am so excited to keep doing them junior and senior year. That's great. Thank you. So I know you're also involved in a group called Speak Up Aves. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So Speak Up Aves was something that I, I, well, after I experienced sort of like a mental health tragedy in my life, I knew that I wanted to bring attention to this at our school because, because Sycamore didn't really have that much mental health awareness campaigns or just the amount of mental health awareness that we need at our school was not present. So I had an administrator meet with me and we discussed the best way possible for Sycamore to sort of expand in that area. And that's how Speak Up Aves was born. Um, it's a campaign at our school to get people talking about mental health awareness and suicide prevention. And we are graciously sponsored by you guys, one in five. And we basically, we've got posters around the school with very inspirational quotes. And as cheesy as it might sound, I must say that when I find them sometimes in the hallways, walking in between classes, they really do actually give me a new perspective or make my day a little bit better. And we recently did a tattoo campaign with um, inspirational tattoos, and those were really empowering. So basically, we're just trying to empower, educate, and inspire our students and our administrators to sort of take mental health awareness in their stride and um, not cause a big stigma around it like it is in our community. And I'm so excited to be a part of it, even though this year was the first year, I'm sure it'll do great things in the future. Yes, it's so fun to work with you guys. You have such high energy. You've done a lot of amazing videos. So Yeah, we're yeah, here to bring it. On. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to your activities. Um, on average, during the school year, how much time do you spend doing extracurricular activities on average in a, in a, on, a, on a daily basis? Well, I'm sure any high school athlete can attest that it is takes up the majorities of our afternoons. And... Um, especially like golf during the fall season, golf rounds are very, very long. Um, they can like two to three hours every afternoon are spent just at practice. And then on match days, we're out maybe until 7, 8 p.m. And we get out of school at three. So that's a, that's a very long time. Um, for swim, our practices are about two to three hours every afternoon. And then meets are also kind of 
three to four hours. And then mock trial, I just kind of squeeze it in between because mock trial is, it's not as demanding of a sport per se or activity, but I want to make sure that anything I do, I do well and that I'm invested in it. So I definitely try to spend as much time as I can. It's a lot of individual work, but I would say that maybe 70% of my entire evening is spent doing an activity. On average, like how many hours on average do you think you spend? Like four or um, five? Yeah, I would say four or five hours. A night, right? Like you're saying per night? Yes. Wow. Okay. So um, on average, how, how many hours of sleep do you think you get per night? Well, um, I would say maybe around six to seven in that area. It's never more than that but it's definitely been less than that several times. It's interesting because uh, we're going to talk a little bit about a survey with Dr. Slavin that we have, uh, we just did with a couple of schools in Cincinnati. Um, the average during the weekdays, um, the average hours of sleep um, among students is 6.7. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should be getting at least eight or nine hours. So basically that means you're cognitively impaired almost every day. Yeah, I don't think I've had the luxury of eight to nine hours since maybe middle school. So yeah. <laughs> I get it. I was yeah. I was the same way when I was yeah. in high school. It's it's tough to like balance everything. So absolutely. Um, yeah. kind of moving forward with that. How do how do you kind of how do you find that balance? Wow. Um. Well, I just. I know how long my sports take me and I know how much time I have to invest after school. So I'm like one of those kids who will ring every second out of the school day and be like, oh, I have 10 minutes here. Let me just start this assignment. Or I've got this 30 minute study hall. Let me just do this real quick. And it actually drives my friends crazy because they're like, chill, Dia. Like you have, you can go home and do this. It's called homework. And I'm like, well, you don't understand because when I go home, I'm not going home. I'm going home to drop my stuff off and go back somewhere. I'm going home to pick up something and go back. Like I, I have to really make myself aware of all the time that I have during the day because during the evening, I know that I'm going to be doing something else and my mind's going to be elsewhere, especially if, uh, like a swim meet starts at 6 p.m. If I get home at three, between three and six, I'm only thinking about the meet. I don't have, I'm not in the right mindset to do work. So I just have to understand like where my time is and where, where I can use the time and everything else just kind of goes from there. I'm, I'm a huge procrastinator as most teenagers are, but when it comes down to like the sports season, I feel like my um, time allocation is a lot better than expected. And it's not perfect, but that's at least how I try to stay. Absolutely. Do you ever just get really tired of this pace? Yeah, I, I, there have been several nights and I'm sure my parents can attest to this where I'll just like, I'll come home from a swim meet or I'll come home from a match and I will just sit at the table and just literally just sit there like this for like 20 minutes. That's a very long amount of time, but I just, sometimes it, it does become a lot and I don't really know how to express that like just fatigue and stress and exhaustion all jumbled together. And it just comes out as just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And there's way too many nights of, I don't want to do this anymore. But I think that 
as a high schooler, I've just grown so much from being able to, for just having all the stuff thrown at me and said, okay, balance this, that I know that I can, I can keep doing it just because like, I know that like I'm, I'm doing well and I'm able to do it, but some nights it does get a lot. And I just have to remind myself that, Hey, like I like doing what I'm doing. I like golf. I like swim. I love mock trial. I love school. So it does get difficult not to discount that it doesn't, but I just keep it the, the end in mind and the happy memories at the front of my brain. That's great. It, it, it's so important to figure out what that balance is, what keeps you, what keeps you healthy, what self-talk do you have for yourself to keep moving forward? Yeah. So let's talk about your academics a little bit. How many classes are you taking? How many are you taking AP classes? How do you decide how many AP classes to take? So as a sophomore, Sycamore only has a limited amount of AP classes that you can take. So this past year, I only took one and that was even like one too many for me. Um, but I think it was just because it's it's your first AP class. Of course, it's going to hit you like a train, but it was um, other than my AP class, I take all like honors or accelerated classes, depending on what your school calls them, which just means there's an increased workload and a higher expectation. And then I also take, I'm, I'm a very avid writer. So I took, um, creative writing, creative writing too, and journalism. <laughs> so, um, all of those together, I had a very high academic demand in my opinion, in terms of workload, as well as like quality of work that was required for the course. Um, and then next year, I am going to be taking four AP classes. And I think the decision making behind that was just that I know that if I apply myself, I can usually do well. So if I have a high, if I have an AP class or an accelerated class, I think I can pull it off academically just because I know that I have that work ethic and I know that if I apply myself, I can do okay. So that's why I don't really shy away from those kinds of classes because I love the challenge and I love being able, like, I, I love being able to look at something and say, I don't know. And then the next week feeling really accomplished because I've just learned it. And it's a very validating feeling. And I really like those higher up classes because they challenge me like that. So um, I know that four AB classes is going to be a lot next year, but I think that with the balance skills that I've learned in my first two years of high school, I can hopefully transfer them to next year. And I know that I have a really supportive um, staff at Sycamore, which is just like, even after taking one AP class last year, my AP teacher was by far one of the most supportive teachers I've ever had. And I think they really understand that it's hard for us to take AP classes, like they get it. So I think just knowing that you have a supportive team to help you and my parents are really great. And I have a really good group of friends who are all taking kind of the same classes. I think that's all the factors go into deciding what your schedule is going to be next year. If you've got a supportive team and you believe in yourself to do it, then you can really just take anything you'd like. So how many, how many hours on average do you do homework a night? Um, I like you're very efficient during the school day, but let's talk about night. How much time are you spending? Sure. Um, I would say three to four hours of homework and then probably one to two hours of actually like studying for a test. So I am not that I'm not the type to go to bed early and then wake up in the morning and do work. I, for some reason, I, it'll just haunt me all night. I will not have a good night's rest because I'll be like, I got to get up and study for in the morning. No, 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 I can't do that. I have so many friends who are like, 
yeah, I got up at four to study for the bio test this morning. I'm like, I can't, I physically cannot do that. Everything needs to be done at night. And then only I can sleep well with the few hours that I have left. So I would say, yeah, maybe three to four hours of homework and one to two hours studying. Yep, that sounds right. So when you do the math, you're, uh, you obviously are going to bed late every night. Yes. You're doing extracurriculars and then you're doing the homework. So do you do your extracurriculars um, first and then you come home and do your homework? Uh, yes, usually. Like during the fall season, we'll just go straight from school to uh, golf or like the practice or a match. During the swim season, I'll have practice right after school. And actually during the swim season, I have practice right after school. It's from around like 2.30 to like 4.30. Then we'll have maybe like a dry land workout till 5.30. And then I'll have mock trial start <laughs> at 6. So then I'll go there and I'll be home at 8 o'clock is usually my winter schedule. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever just like take a day off? Like, nope, can't do it. Mental health day. I definitely need to get better about that. I would, I... I maybe took one or two days off because I was sick and um, I was just not like feeling up to par. I don't think I was actually like clinically sick, but yeah, I think my body recognizes that I need to take a break sometimes and like gives me a little bit of physical symptoms to like boost my, Hey mom, I'm sick kind of impulse. <laughs> but um, I, I will never miss a day of school in fear of missing work and, and like assignments, which I think is, it's a, it's a, it's a mentality that a lot of us students discuss at school because it's just, it's so difficult to actually take a full mental health day in the modern school system because of all the AP classes that you take. I know that I missed one day of AP bio and I was struggling the entire week to make up the work, not just, not the assignments per se, but just learn the material that's taught. And so I don't think I, I can never take a mental health day, but I can definitely take a mental health afternoon. And I have sometimes. It's good that you uh, that you know when your your body gives you signs that you need to kind of slow down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of on like the flip side, can you talk about like maybe one of your like busiest days where you kind of were like up at six or seven or whenever you get up to go to yeah. school to whenever you fall asleep? Sure. Okay. So I would say a busiest day would start with yeah me waking up. I wake up wake up around six a.m. and then. I'll go to school and I think the busiest days for me, like the most mentally taxing are the days that I have like three tests in a row or I've got like four tests sporadically throughout the day because then you're like, it's just constant mode of stress. It never ends. Like if you have a test first, third and seventh period, there's no time to not be stressed because seventh is the last period. First is the first one. The entire day you're just thinking about it. So then I like if I've got that on my mind then the entire day is just gone in that like okay mentally like reviewing and mentally thinking about all the concepts and then say I've got it I probably would have a golf match we would leave the building at about 240 and we drive out there I think the farthest farthest one we've had to drive would be like an hour we'd drive out in our van and then we would play a round of nine holes which takes around three to four hours because we're not allowed to have golf carts like in the commercials and what all the retired folks do know we, we got to walk the nine holes it's a good it's a good two to three miles just walking and playing and I mean I love it but <laughs> and then we'll drive home for an hour and it's around maybe eight o'clock eight thirty and then sometimes we'll get dinner together but other times you just got to put the foot down and say well I've got a lot of work tonight 
And then I'll maybe get home around nine and that's when I'll open my textbooks. Then I'll probably, I'll probably optimistically go to sleep around midnight. Oh, wow. That's the busiest day though. That's a lot. Uh, Do you ever just take a class that's non-honors, non-AP in a subject that you're not like super excited about um, just to give yourself like a spot where you don't have to stress out so much about it? Or maybe like, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, or maybe a subject that you do really like, like art or like music or something like that. That's journalism. For sure. Yeah. Journalism. Yes. Journalism. Sometimes I joke that it should be a paid job because of the amount of work I do in that class. So that (laughs) is definitely not one of them. But um, I would say that I am not a huge history buff. So I realized that my option during sophomore year was to take AP Euro or to not take history. I mean, there are other avenues, but that was the option that a lot of my friends were taking. So I actually decided not to take history this year. And my alternative was that I took a summer history class through a college and it was only like eight weeks and it was just a Tuesday and a Thursday. And I just went to that class and I found that by doing that, I was able to have a free spot in my schedule for sophomore year. And then I could take creative writing, which was just a class that I loved. So yeah, I think sometimes if there's something that I realize, oh, I can have a mental break in the day. I love that. Like I will take the day. Freshman year, I took band And I loved it because it was just a day where I could literally just play my instrument for 48 minutes every single day. So stress relieving, maybe not relieving, but like the stress isn't present in that class. You know what I mean? So it's a break. It's a very good mental break. So yeah, I would say that I do. I do that, especially with like creative writing this year was such a great place for me to just like relax and let my creative juices flow in a way that sometimes the rigid school system doesn't allow. And um. And I'm conscious about like what I like and what I do like, I'll take the highest classes in or I'll apply myself the most. And what I don't like history, I'll, I'll find a way to do it that makes me comfortable and that allows me to have a free spot in my schedule and do something that actually makes me relax because I I can't, I cannot take seven AP classes in a seven bell day. You know, you got to have that, you got to have that balance. Yeah. All right. As you know, we are working with uh, Dr. Slavin. We're talking to him on this episode as well. Um, And we're working with him to better understand the the status of our local high school students' mental health. Um, So when you think about your high school experience, what do you think causes you the most stress? I'm going to say expectations. I really don't think it's course load or like you said, I don't think it's um, like the actual curriculum. It's just like It's what are you expected to achieve in high school compared to who all has achieved better? You know what I mean? Like, I know there's this one wall at Sycamore, which is this this slideshow of all the national merit semifinalists. And I pass it every morning in the front, like um, from the front office. And I'm like, if my picture isn't on that screen, will I will I have failed? Like, is that something that that I'm going to, I'm going to regret going by and seeing all my peers faces on there. And it's not mine. Okay. Well, that means I've got to really study for the PSAT. Like I need to devote all of this time to it. And what if I don't get a three, four or five on my AP exam? Like, it's very pressurizing as a high school student to be like, Oh, well you need to achieve the impossible just like everybody else before you has kind of thing, you know? And especially like the college admission process is be unique, like do something unique. And 
a lot of the things that I do, actually, I try to make everything I do something I want to do. It's not from any outside factors. But when you think about the expectations of a high school student, you have to mold yourself in that way. And that's really pressurizing because you want to do great. And it's not just for you. It's like parental expectations. Like I'm, my parents are very chill, but I know a lot of people don't have that luxury. A lot of people have that parent pressure that like, like son, I better see you NHS president. I better see you as mock trial varsity attorney. Like, and that's horrible for students, but it's just the environment that we're raised in that you need to be better. You need to one up every single class before you in order to be called a successful person. And that's what's really pressurizing is just the pressure to succeed. Mm -hmm. So you uh, mentioned a little while ago about the um, college application process and what the requirements are. Um, when you're, when you're thinking about that, I know it's kind of early for you to be thinking about it, but when you think about that, um, what are some of the factors that you hear from other people that are so important in that process and how does that impact your, your decisions? Sure. Um, well, I think there's a lot of conflicting information about there because I've got some friends who are like, well, you need a perfect AT score. You need to have done X amount of community service. One, you need to have this amazing accolade sheet and you need to really be like just a very influential person essentially you need to be the entire package is what most people are coming out saying and then there are other people who are like well my brother had a perfect ACT and he didn't get into any IVs and then I'm like oh okay so perhaps it doesn't work that way or like oh my or I wrote like horrible essays and I got into Yale and it's like okay well that's an exaggeration but you understand what I'm saying so I I just know that from all the research that I'm starting to collect and my parents and I are starting to look into it's that you just have to you just have to have passion like you have to show them that there's something that matters to you and there's there's a reason that it matters to you and you everything you do has purpose like you need to build your brand in accordance to yourself and I I think that part of the college admission process may not be as bad as it sounds because in a way you're finding yourself you're finding what makes you happy you're finding what what gets you out of bed every morning and I think that it's only like a select few students can actually say that the college admission process made me a better person because of just how stressful it is because a lot of people really don't um, I mean like they don't have something that they really like to do which is very sad but like a lot of people have to just do things to check the box. Like I just got to study for this so I can get this and I just got to go volunteer so I can check this box. And I know that my friends and I, we always talk about like, is this person doing whatever they're doing because they like it or are they doing it so that they can put it on their resume? Because there's a very, it's, it's much finer of a line than you would think. Cause mm -hmm. sometimes you're doing it for both. And that's why when my mom says something like, oh, that's great for you to put on your resume, I'm like, okay, but that's not why I'm doing it. Like, I'm doing this because I love it, and I'm doing this because I'm invested in it, and I'm passionate about it. But that, a lot of people can't say that about the things that they're doing, which is honestly, it's it's sad. Yeah, that is sad. So let's go back to the, when the stress that you feel. What do you do to help you relieve some of that stress that you feel? How do you take care of yourself? Um, well, 
for me, I am notorious for having a bar, like a very small self-esteem. So I, like my coaches and my teachers will tell you all the time that I'll walk into a test and be like, oh, I'm ready to, I'm ready to fail. Like, I'm ready. Just give me the F. And like, I'll walk into a golf match. And I'll be like, just, just put me last, like seed me last. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot really bad today. They literally want to pull their hairs out because of how low I think of myself. But I think that positive self-talk is really good. And it's gotten me, it's boosted my self-confidence a lot. Like I'll be like, Hey, got this you can do this. Like you've done this a billion times before. What, what, what's different about this time? Or like, Oh, well you studied for this long. Like there's no way you can possibly do as bad as you think you're going to. And positive self-talk doesn't always have to be like inspirational Pinterest quotes. Like the way that I positive self-talk to me is in like teenage slang. Like I'll be like, like, I can't think of a good example, but I'll be like, Hey, like, good vibes Dia. like you got this like the vibes are good the vibes are fresh you've got this you can do this and that sounds so cringy but I'm serious it works like if you just speak to yourself how you know you want to be spoken to if you don't want to be spoken to like somebody on the receiving end of Pinterest and if you want to be spoken to how like you would want a teenage friend to like calm you down it's a great way to just speak to yourself because you're the one who knows you the best mm-hmm. so just know know what you need to hear and even if it's not 100% true, it can at least get you past the point of stress or get you towards the next base. And I think it works. And then just surrounding yourself with a good community. I mean, if I did not have the kind of quality teammates or quality friends, I mean, I really would not be in the place that I am today. And that sounds, again, very corny, but it is true. Because just having supportive classmates and having classmates who you can even classmates who you can complain to and ran rant to it's just it's like it's almost as healthy just being with people who share your struggles or like who are also sharing your successes with you especially when you have teammates if you both win together it's great if you both lose together it's still great you just you you become a community and to have that community to rely on it's just I can't tell you how valuable that is so that's how I relieve stress just surround yourself with good people and tell yourself it's gonna be okay it's great. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so um, that kind of leads us into um, our last question, and, well, unless we have a follow-up. Um, and I know you talked about this a little bit earlier, but what, what do you think drives you to do your best in every aspect of like your school or whatever? Um, that's a good question. I think what motivates me to do my best is just like understanding the reaction to quality work done. Like I know how happy my parents are when I do something well, or I know how validating it feels to put 10 hours into an art project and have it look really great or how like how great it is to watch my creative writing teacher read something that I actually put a lot of effort into. And he, like, he tells me like, Hey, like, this is good. Like not like people validation per se, but just like self validation. And it's just, that really motivates me to keep going. Like I, at the end of something, I look at it and I'm like, would I be proud of this? Because if I'm not proud of it, then I didn't do it well enough. So it's, I think it's a lot of self-motivation and it's definitely been sculpted since kindergarten through now. I, I, I always had that kind of like, I want to be proud of the work that I do mentality from a young age. And it's definitely, I definitely wasn't born with that. It was like parents, not pressure, but just like guidance. And then teachers being like, 
recognizing something that I did well. And then I understood, oh, okay, like if I do something well, I feel proud. So it's just a lot of sort of like your own self successes. And are you, can you look at something and say that I did my best work? Because if you can't, then you can't be fully proud of it. So that really motivates me to do my best because I want to look at my grades and say, I earned this and I'm proud of it. And I want to look at my projects and my stories and my papers and my essays. And I just want to make sure that I'm producing the 100% quality that I know that I can. And especially since I can, if I have the time and if I can invest myself into it, why not? That's great. It's uh, you sound, you sound very balanced. You've had very good direction in your life. Oh, yes. I could thank my parents and my very supportive community for that. It's definitely not just me. That's awesome. So is there anything else that, that you want to tell us that we haven't asked you? Is there anything else that we missed? No, I'm just, I'm, I am so grateful to be part of this community in, in specific, like just being part of the one in five community has been really emotionally healing as well as just it's just such a great outlet and it's such a great, like for me personally, it's such a great place to be. And I love being surrounded by all of you guys and it's, it's such a great cause and I'm so, I'm just so proud of it. So thank you for letting me be a part of it. Thank you. We're so glad you're here. So Dia, thank you for being with us today. You're very inspirational. Um, you, you're doing amazing work out there. We're so glad that you're um, interning with us this year. And we uh, and you and you're doing an amazing job also on the Innovation Challenge, um, Our Voices project. Um, so keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about this episode, you can check out our show notes and access additional information on our website at one n five.org. We ask that you please subscribe rate, write a review, or share this podcast with anyone you think may be interested in hearing more about how we are changing the mental health landscape. Again, I'm Nancy. And I'm Kayla. And we hope you'll join us next time. You believe-